All right, Matthew, welcome to episode 95 of the Performance Advantage podcast, where we bring sports science to the people. We're talking five reasons why you should not train with heart rate. So Matt and I are both PhD sports scientists, and we have lots of experience working as sports scientists, coaches, and athletes in various capacities across numerous different uh, endurance-based sports or even... I don't know what gravity. What would you call your mountain bike disciplines? I always, you always hate on me when I say endurance. You're like, no. We well, the, yeah, the problem is, like an enduro gravity racer. Um, they don't see themselves as uh, endurance athletes per se. They are, but <laughs> that term doesn't really fit with that crowd. That's right. So Matt and I like to bring sports science to you in an easy hopefully easy to understand digestible entertaining format so that you can implement what we talk about here on the performance advantage podcast either between ourselves or with experts and you can become a better more efficient athlete and if you think the podcast just isn't enough for you to be able to get the information you need, you can go on to performanceadvantagepodcast.com forward slash masterclass bundle and you can get our six part online course masterclass for using sports science to train more effectively. And right now you'll get a bonus fundamentals of running power or fundamentals of mountain bike power absolutely free. So that's a like $200 worth of value free straight off the bat you get instant access to both of those lifetime access use them at your discretion and pleasure and <laughs> you'll also get ceus that's pretty cool um we also have that training peaks course and we don't really plug that very much but that was a pretty cool thing for us to be able to do is to deliver the fundamentals uh of or introduction to exercise science for endurance coaches for training peaks so that's for level two coaches they have to take that that's so. right so that's on Training Peaks. You can go to Training Peaks University if you'd like access to that course, and that gives you some more uh, credits towards your level two uh, Training Peaks coaching accreditation, which is always good. Yeah, we'll we'll have to talk offline and figure out like where do we want to really be pointing people to our courses or the Training Peaks courses. But I think they're both really cool, and that's like one of the things that we've been working for so long is we've been building up our knowledge base and our experience to be able to help coaches and help help athletes all around the world on the internet. That's what we do. Yep. And if you would like to speak to Matt and I or get some coaching, you can just do that. Flick us a message on on the socials, uh, email, or wherever you can you can find us. All right, Matt. Heart rate. You're you're a hater. You're a hater of heart yeah, rate training. Absolutely. Um, I don't really understand why. Uh, I I don't know if I'd say I love it, but big big into heart rate. You should like, call yourself the the heart rate running guy instead of the running power meter guy, because you're the running power meter guy. I'm running but, power for sure. But here yeah. you are, always chatting about heart rate. Well, see. Those two go together so well, especially in the formats of running. I'm most uh, active, I guess, like track running and ultra marathon. Even even half, just all running, actually. Uh, so many things can influence running power that we need an alternative metric to look at that is going to give... I guess a better physiological input uh, response, or um, I guess what's the word I'm looking for? It's going to tell you more about how hard you're finding the current work rate and conditions, as opposed to just the output mixture, which you know could differ wildly if you are 
in a 40 degree 90% humidity as we spoke about with Chris from core body temperature sensors last week on the show yes okay very true do you think Usain Bolt trains looks at his heart rate during his races do you think he looks at anything actually i don't know <laughs> we should so ask him running should we get him on yeah, yeah I'll, I'll reach out yeah um all right matt so first off let's just set the scene for for what is heart rate what are we looking at here well heart rate measured in beats per minute that's how many times your heart is beating uh in one minute and usually you get an update every second or whatever your device is set to and you'll see how many times it is beating per minute at that given time okay so why that is, it, is what you're looking at. Well, I guess the question is like, why does your heart beat? Yeah. Right. That sounds like really basic, but that is the question. So you're sitting there and you're chilling with, by the way, with your break a shirt. It looks I dope. Am. Yeah. Like you if look you're really watching good. on Spotify or YouTube, you'll see it. Break yeah. I got mine on as well. It you looks backwards to me. Yeah, yeah. Old logo. And it was like just massive. It goes from armpit to armpit. So. But by the way, okay, so yeah, looking cool, looking cool, chilling there with your t-shirt on, but your heart rate is beating. You're not exercising. Your heart rate is beating. Tell me, tell me what it is. 20, uh, 30, 90, 60, 60. Sheesh. How many coffees did you have this morning? Two. Okay. So if you had maybe one, maybe it'd be lower or something. Right? Potentially. Okay. Instantly, there's an issue with heart rate, so that's cool. We'll touch on that later. But your heart is beating right now, and yep. the reason it's beating is to deliver oxygen. So your blood is pumping through your body. It goes through your lungs. It doesn't actually go through your lungs, but the, there's the air uh, diffusion between the oxygen kind of, diffusion. I haven't thought about life. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I haven't thought about that in a, a few months actually. But yeah, that's what happens. So there's diffusion happening into your blood, and then that oxygenated blood gets pumped through your body. That's cool because your muscles need oxygen every second. Your brain needs oxygen all the time. Otherwise, it would die. That's what keeps them alive. So the moment you stand up and you start doing some jumping jacks, which you often do when we're talking online, just start doing. You call them something the star jumps? Is that what you call them in New Zealand? Yeah, yeah, star jumps. As soon as you start doing those, your heart rate increases. And that's because you're suddenly using more muscles. And you need to deliver more oxygenated blood to those muscles because they're doing more work and they need more oxygen. So then the same thing's happening when you go out for a run, you go out for a ride, or when you go harder. When you go harder, you need more oxygen, which means your heart needs to pump more oxygenated blood to those muscles so that way you can break down substrate to do muscular contraction and on the converse side of that we need to extract water and co2 so it's kind of our relationship of what's driving heart rate so we have the autonomic nervous system uh, which is a combination of the sympathetic and parasympathetic and the way i like to think of it matt to remind myself when I was learning this way back in the day, para years ago, like parachute, so falling. So parasympathetic is the calming one, and sympathetic is like the G up. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's how I remember that's it. It's actually a nice way to remember it. Yeah. Parachute. <laughs> para. And so, <laughs> between those two, uh, we won't touch on heart rate variability at the moment, but they are the two uh, or nervous systems that are controlling your heart rate. So if you are, if you like me, have had coffee, one to five coffees, you are increasing your sympathetic nervous system output. So that's increasing the catecholamines that are associated with the fight or flight response. So that's your adrenaline or adrenaline. Uh, epinephrine or epinephrine so a lot of these chemicals are floating around my bloodstream right now after my second coffee and i'm at a heightened awareness uh, and so my parasympathetic nervous system because i'm just sitting here chatting to matt as i do for hours every day it's really trying to calm me down i look mate you do not need to be 
on edge right now. And so now I have I have a conjuncture between between the two and just quickly. And so that's what can alter your heart rate variability. Uh, if you have an out of balance uh, automatic autonomic nervous system, you may have burnt yourself out. And so your resting heart rate's gone from say 30 all the way up to 80 and vice versa. You're just not in a healthy state. But in regard in relation to exercise, we have initial suppression of the parasympathetic nervous system. So essentially you, you start to exercise. And if you think about it in evolutionary terms, th this no one was going for a run to train for a marathon a thousand years ago. <laughs> they were running for something or away from something. So it was like, shut that thing down, shut down the parasympathetic nervous system, G up all your catecholamines and just get going. And so this is what's happening at the initial stages of onset of exercise. And what that's going to do is increase your heart rate. So that's how the initial increase in heart rate occurs. But that initial increase has a lag and we first and we get into our first can of worms right with using heart rate to track anything yeah i always see like so what are we talking about what's the first point you're trying to make is that there's this kind of lag but between the effort that you're putting out and how your heart rate increases is yeah so it's we an know, issue number one Number one, say cardiovascular versus metabolic. Yeah. Okay, we'll do cardiovascular. Number one, the number one reason in no particular order why you sh shouldn't train with heart rate is cardiovascular versus metabolic uh, output okay. or requirements or demand at a given time. All right, Matt. So we've got cardiac drift. Have you heard of that? Of course, I've heard of that. <laughs> You're meant to be like, oh, I don't know. What no, I, uh, no, never. What is it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so cardiac drift occurs where your heart rate drifts up and a subsequent uh, uh, power output or like work rate uh, decreases. It either plateaus or decreases, but... We're, we're, so we're talking over time. We're not talking yeah. when you start a race, right? No, so or you start we're gonna, a workout. We're going to say initially this is in relation to constant steady state exercise. So, so you get on the treadmill or you get on Zwift. None of this going out and rolling on a hilly, hilly ride or anything like that because you'd be coasting a lot. You get on Zwift, right? You set the power at a steady 500 watts and you try and maintain <laughs> that for four hours. Uh, which is all good. You should be all good with that, eh? It's fine. Yep. So over time, I mean that that'll feel pretty hard after like four hours for you, eh? Actually, let's make <laughs> it like a more realistic output. Okay, so you're just you're going at, at uh, two and a half watts per kg. Okay, either either that's that's similar for running as it is for cycling, or you're running at. Um, 30 seconds per K or per mile slower than your marathon pace. So, you know, like zone, bread and butter zone two. Okay. So you go out and you're just tracking along. Now, what you'll notice is your heart rate starts to increase, even over an hour, right? And you think, well, what's happening here? Because I'm not working harder. I'm working exactly the same. And if you're on a treadmill or you're on your smart trainer, you are working exactly the same. It's completely controlled. So so what what is heart rate telling us? Is it Matt? Well, I mean, that's one reason you're not going to use heart rate to guide the intensity of your workout because you know that your workload is set and your heart rate is increasing. I'm not working harder. I'm sweating a lot more. So my plasma volume is decreasing very quickly as I sweat, but we're not working harder. So heart rate isn't really telling the whole story, but in combination with power, you actually get a really nice snapshot of what's going on. 
Right, so you have, Matt, you alluded to the loss of fluid. So you're sweating. You have to. Uh, And your core temperature will be increasing. So when you increase your core temperature, you need to divert blood to your peripherals so you can sweat and try and cool yourself, try and exchange uh, energy with the atmosphere. And hopefully you've got a massive fan blowing on you if if you're indoors and you can dissipate heat, you can get rid of it. But the fact that that blood is now no longer transporting oxygen to your working muscles means there's a require an increased demand for cardiac output, which which we'll also touch on. But your heart rate is has increased to try and maintain like your core temperature and maintain your work rate, which hasn't changed. Right. So suddenly there's more blood floating around the peripheries because it's offloading heat, which means there's less oxygenated blood going to the muscles. So the heart needs to pump more blood to those muscles because they're working at the same rate. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's that constant steady state. Right. So then my argument there, Matt, when not necessarily um, argument, but point i'd say is we can still use heart rate in the sense to look at what is the cardiac drift because the cardiac drift can give us a indication as to your capacity to maintain that work rate because if we move on to the next point matt well before we get to that though i i use that all the time what's that that heart rate, the looking at the cardiac drift, looking at that with athletes all the time. Yeah. 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 Because if we go at a set power output and we see the heart rate gets towards maximum after an hour at tempo, then we know that that kind of workload is not sustainable for that athlete. And it kind of can indicate a weakness, right? Or maybe the workload is a bit too high. Well, this, see, this is again, like a confusing point because that's diverged from cardiac drift and has turned into the O2 slow component because the work rate then is incorrect for the goal of the session. And in that instance, heart rate is telling you that you're working too hard. And despite the fact that um, 80% of your threshold should be sustainable for one hour and this is where we now start to have these confounding factors that can make heart rate quite noisy so the next one which in which we'll discuss the o2 slow component is going to be number two cardiovascular versus mechanical so this is i guess it's similar to to metabolic as well but with the o2 slow component is essentially we're losing uh, contractile capacity within our muscles. So Matt, you are you run once a month? No, once a week. <laughs> I proudly say that <laughs> once a week. All right, you you run once a week. So you're you have minimal running conditioning. You were complaining the other day about how tired you get. Yeah, I get pretty tired, even though yeah. I don't run hard. You don't, you don't have a lot of conditioning, but you are extremely fit because you can ride your bike for hours and hours on end. So then when we give you a threshold test, if you do the Dr. Will O'Connor 1 and 5K FTP test for running power, we, we, can, we can calculate your running power. And I can say, look, Matt, 80%. Go, go do that for an hour. Easy. Like, don't worry. Don't even worry about it. It's below marathon pace. The fact is, you don't run more than like 30 minutes. No. So to run for one hour, even at 80%, you're, you're everything, you're going to be in the most discomfort. I'd be in bed for days. <laughs> yeah. So what's happening there is you you don't have the, the muscular conditioning to sustain that output and what's happening is you're using you're losing contractile capacity within your muscles that's number one the muscles are just fatiguing from well one the con 
um, eccentric loading, which you don't get in your cycling, despite the fact that you're cardiovascularly very fit and even metabolically very fit. Uh, and then as those muscles, con- you lose uh, contractile capacity, you start to increase your recruitment of motor neurons. So now you have to go from, you know, initially would would say you definitely 99% type 1 aerobic muscle fibers. Now you have to keep recruiting more and more to maintain the same mechanical output. And that then starts to contribute less, they're way less economical. So now your O2 kinetics are, are horrible. So you need to pump a lot of blood <laughs> to get like, more and more oxygen because you're just so inefficient now at being able to extract the oxygen out of your blood and your muscles are fatiguing and so now your heart rate's shooting up to try and supply you as much as possible your core temperature is going through the roof because you're running and it's new zealand at the moment you know so we're like 14 degrees and 1000 percent humidity (laughs) for some reason you're overheating and complaining about getting burned (laughs) uh and just you you're you're sweating like you're having a shower and and so now it's just like what i don't even what are we looking at here if i took a blood lactate it'd probably be through the roof as well yeah i'm just thinking about back in the day when all we had was heart rate so you go out and you try and say you you set your zone two and you're like yeah well i i know what my zone two is because i'm always riding at zone two or whatever and i go out and run at zone two heart rate so i try and get my heart rate up really quickly because i want to be in my working zone and then over time obviously i'm uh i have a lot of self-control so i don't want to like go too hard what I have to do then to stay in my zone is really, really slow down, right? Yeah. Because I don't really have that conditioning. This is a really common thing. And it would, it's, I think it's still a common thing for people that train just with heart rate. So when you do start an interval or a workout, you get your heart rate up really high by increasing power output. And then over time you decrease power output to make sure your heart rate doesn't go so high. Yeah, so when if we're going to rely on heart rate to dictate our any any work rate, we need to understand what is the goal of that session because if it's a some thinking some like 5 minute intervals like 1k kind of intervals for running or you know 5 minutes on the bike and we have what let's say a couple minutes recovery matt and we want to do what do you reckon give me an intensity you're going to do those five minute ones at 105 percent threshold okay so we're going above lactate threshold so we know there's going to be uh, anaerobic component there uh if we're just relying on heart rate one it's going to be slow to act okay so initially the de- the the mechanical requirements of the muscle you're probably you're probably operating at if we looked at power 110 to 120 you know initially because you're probably going on rpe and you're like that doesn't feel too bad Uh, and then your heart rate starts to go up now the mechanical requirement is going down and down and then your heart rate is by probably minute two or three first interval minute three minute four and you now your your power's probably 90, 95%, and then your heart rate's finally in its zone. Then we recover, and as we move through, our power's going down and down and down. The heart rate will quickly or more rapidly be able to match the 105% that we initially required. But across that, we've, when we're doing a workload like that, we're not, we're, we're looking at the mechanical and metabolic requirements that are trying to match uh, an increase in anaerobic capacity as well as strength, strength endurance, uh, you know, specificity if we're looking, you know, if we're doing five 1Ks, is it 5K or a 10K race coming up? Uh, none of that happened when we were looking at heart rate. 
Like we so, essentially just slow down. <laughs> yeah. So what you're saying is that is not the right way to do it. No. Where power would be, you could pretty much be bang on. And what you'd see is your heart rate might be a little bit lower in the first interval. And it obviously would take quite a while to, to increase. The fitter you are, the faster it would increase to meet the demands of the workload. But then in the subsequent intervals, they, your heart rate will increase and you'll hit a higher peak heart rate towards the end of each subsequent interval. Yeah, and that's going to be different if you are, you know, I'm thinking about cycling here, if you're time trialing on the flat or climbing a hill. Because if you're time trialing on the flat, you could be going 30 to 40 k's an hour. I don't know what that is, 20 miles, 20, 25 miles an hour. You get you get a lot of convective cooling, even in warm temperatures, because you get a lot of wind blowing past you. But if you're doing that on a, you know, ten percent gradient hill, you're going like 10, 15 k's an hour. So now you're not cooling yourself as much. So both those instances, heart rate's going to be quite different, and it's going to reach a lot different max numbers by the you know fourth fifth interval but we've got power. So we know we, we hit the work rate that we required um, in that. So then Matt, what about doing a, a one hour effort? One hour efforts are hard. That's brutal. Oh, I mean, man. come on, man, as a one... coach, like that's, that's rude. One hour efforts. Yeah. yeah. Like so... one hour of power. Whew. Yeah, yeah. I feel bad it's, for people oh. when I prescribe that. And it's not often. Not often. It's so effective though. Yeah. It's it's so effective because you so many reasons. Like if you were just looking at at heart rate. So I guess we need to define the intensities because for me, one hour runs, aerobic runs, I say do do heart rate. No power look at power uh, yeah but, but like run off of heart rate because if you're had 15 cups of coffee and it's 40 degrees outside i don't i don't i want you chilled out like there's a reason you're you're so amped and the goal here is to increase matt's muscular conditioning and aerobic capacity and overstressing your muscles and potentially your core temperature it's, it's just not as there's no there's no need for that so you tell me then to go out for a one hour steady run and my let's say my zone two which is zone one to two is which is what we'd work at let's say that is up to like 140 beats per minute okay so i want to be around there so what do i do start at 140 beats per minute ease into it how how do you prescribe the pacing for a one hour run when you're using heart rate uh so i have a, a five minute uh or 1k warm-up period so with the the i guess bottom end heart rate what it like 50 percent super low so it's not so if it's sent through to your watch it's not automatically beeping at you uh after that period you enter into zone one to two so 75 to 88 percent or 87 percent depends what zone systems you're using um let's just say 75 to 90 percent okay yeah so if i'm a real go-getter i'm like well 90 percent is better so i start at 90 percent how does that fit into what the workout is trying to achieve Yeah, your it achieves the same thing because you will over exert yourself. So your your power may be zone three at that point because you're like, I need to get my heart rate up. Definitely, yeah, right? at least, yeah. But you've if you've got your heart rate to the top of zone two within the first say ten minutes of a one hour workout, your heart rate isn't going to go down. It's going to go up. So now you've had to match. 
your physiology and reduce your output. And because it will happen so quickly, well, you know, within 15 minutes, you're now going to be set in zone two. It's just true. Running has it's such a large demand. Like it's, you can be so fatigued as you're found out. Like if you do, if you've had to stand up at work all day, or it is 30 degrees outside, or you had one of your big sessions at the weekend, then trying to maintain even zone two power or pace output can just be really, really demanding. And because of the inaccuracies that we currently have in pace, normalized graded pace and power, you could find yourself working too hard. Which is what we don't want, right? No. no. So I guess I see it as what is going to ensure you're not working too hard the most. Because in running, like, you can't you can't do a coffee shop spin running. <laughs> you can walk to the coffee shop, I guess, right? Yeah, and runners don't walk. That <laughs> <laughs> no, no one's going to go. Oh, Will's got like a a five k easy run. I'm just going to walk to the cafe. <laughs> no one's going to do that. You can have a, you can just write you know, easy spin and someone will literally just chill. No one just chills running. There's, there's a minimum like energetic metabolic physiological requirement to running the locomotion of running the transition from walking to running requires a certain amount of, of oxygen, of intensity, which cycling does not because you can just sit on your bike. Yeah, you can just coast. Yeah, you can't, you can't, yeah, switch off running downhill. Right. Okay. So I, I, I kind of see what you're saying there. Yeah. Right. Um, but I'm not recommending someone run heart rate for any specific session under an ultra marathon. So again, when we enter into ultra marathons, those plethora of uh, factors really come into play. Okay, the the O2 slow component, the you know your your contractile activity, your um, O2 kinetics, your body temperature, your fluid losses, all of those things have a you you don't want to imbalance or over uh, stress any of those components two hours into a 15 hour race and heart rate shows you all of those whereas any because it's an input metric so it's not an output metric like um, gps reading or a power meter reading but i actually disagree because i think heart rate is a result of power Right. So if you had uh, less water, I just heard you drink your water. Thanks. If you say had less water, you have a reduced plasma plasma volume, which yep. means that your ability to transport oxygen in X number of beats per minute is different than it was yesterday. Right. So you go out at a set workload, you're dehydrated because you didn't drink as much water as you're drinking now. Yep. And suddenly your heart rate is different. Yeah. Right at that same power. Okay. So there's an argument against it. Now, or you had uh, 15 coffees instead of 14. Now suddenly your sympathetic nervous system activity is increased. Right. And yeah. let's say it's race day and you're like, geed up, right. Yep. And you train by by heart rate and or maybe you go too slow or something because your heart rate's just so high because you're so excited like, well i'm not going above 140 beats per minute and here i am standing on the start line it's 120 right and then you start running and you're like walking 
at 140 beats per minute, which obviously those numbers are a bit funky, right? Yeah. They're, they're maybe not realistic, but it's it's the same issue, right? That is the issue that would you would see. Whereas if you started your ultra marathon and you know you can maintain 200 watts for eight hours, just start at 200 watts. Yes. Because uh, your heart rate could be yeah. 150 because yeah, no, you've um, had so many coffees. Well, let's, this is, this, this is perfect for um, number three. Okay. Pacing at the start of a race, short or long. And I specifically wrote pacing at the start of a race because you're right. You're absolutely right. I have power output, a power output range, and then a heart rate range for the start of any race. Because at some point, they will converge, right? So if you had your, your 15 coffees, and maybe that's so that's so that's, many that's coffees many, <laughs> uh, can we 10 that's more realistic i'll get you um <laughs> rolled up i'll say a caffeine gel on the start line oh no please don't <laughs> um, i've done it i've done it so you like five bucks down the drain <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you've done that and um and you need but you need to know what is your capacity over an ultra distance yeah that's true which is hard to figure out well the thing is i there's definitely one one lady and myself are the only two people who have ever said to me i think i could have started a bit harder and i didn't really say it to myself I yeah i was thinking that'd be weird to say to yourself in the mirror during my debrief uh so mm -hmm. you know how many people are going to start too slow in an ultra marathon i would say pretty much no one and <laughs> even if they do say it i probably would have a hard time believing it <laughs> and that's that's where uh heart rate just it's just again it's the it's the best default for minimizing your margin error of going going too hard in a race that's going to take you more than 10 hours so power wouldn't do that well i mean it like it would but if it was 40 degrees yeah you know yeah you're right yeah and so I guess your understanding of of the metrics needs to be there as well. So one thing that heart rate does really well is it doesn't fluctuate rapidly. Okay, so I just, um, as an athlete that I work with, um, he just ran a marathon. And I said, you know, this is your power. And obviously keep an eye on your heart rate, but we know you can maintain this power output, so go for it. Okay. Make sure you hydrate, you know, nutrition, take care of that. And he just had real time power or three second averaging um on his on his watch and he had heart rate. Now he was run as an undulating course at the start and he was hitting um like one hundred to one hundred and five percent of his power threshold you know, 10 second, 20 second, 30 second points in time. So, but he was, you know, he's in a race. He's not always looking down at his watch, but when he would look down, his power was in zone and his heart rate looked good. Now, someone who's incredibly fit can do a 30 second, 120% threshold effort and not have their heart rate rapidly spike. Right, but power, you know, so if you're saying, oh, yep, rely on power, you need to be looking at it almost constantly because if there's a one minute climb 1k into an ultra marathon you could smash that and probably not advisable <laughs> and then 
um, if your heart rate starts to go up, it's it's then up, right? And you'll you'll go, oh whoa, you know, one forty is my upper limit. Will said, so I'm gonna just I'm just gonna chill out, even That's though it, okay. now my heart rate site, my um power outputs way lower. Yeah, one of you're right about the the how much the heart rate can uh, ch- how quickly it can change with someone who's really really fit, and we see that a lot in mountain biking, where someone who's less less well trained, let's say their heart rate will be pretty steady even when they stop pedaling. So you climb up a hill, your heart rate might be at 180, 190. You go down the hill, it's like maybe the same. But what we see in the highly elite athletes is it might be 180, 190 up the hill, and then down the hill, they recover. And it's down to like 140 or something in races, which is insane. Um, But also... I did think of one time where like at the start of a race where using heart rate isn't a great thing to look back on. And that's like at the start of a race, your heart rate is very, very low. And the start is obviously pretty short, the amount of time that you need to go really, really hard. And everyone overpaces at the start. Yeah. So now, so now we've gone from long. So well, first I'll make the comment that, and this is because I just watched that uh, Boeing documentary on Netflix. And uh, spoiler alert, they, they like me. No, don't do it. I haven't seen okay. it. Okay. okay. I haven't seen it. Okay. So well, one comment they made in terms of safety on in aeronautics is they should never have one point at which could fail a safety-reliant life-depending mechanism. Okay. So we can take that same approach to making sure you can pace a race and execute a race appropriately. You should never rely on one sole singular metric because we'll get into this on on number four or five on uh, reliability. But yeah, it just, batteries run out. You know, thing, things can happen. So you need you need a couple points to go. All right, this for whatever reason my heart is reading a hundred two hundred forty. No, I'm not going that hard. Um, so yeah. And then Matt, short races, mountain biking. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The, what I was thinking is that you have maybe one or two minutes to go very, very hard at the start. Not saying that is the best strategy because you have to go for 90 minutes. We've talked a zillion times about pacing. There are better ways to pace, but one of the, the pitfalls that you can see when you're analyzing a race file retrospectively if you only have heart rate you might think that the pacing strategy was okay because in the first five or ten minutes or something like that the heart rate didn't get to an insanely high level right maybe got to race pace but what you'll see a lot of times if you also add in power then you'll see that power was extremely high because what you had to do is increase your heart rate from whatever it is with your race nerve standing on the start line, you had to increase it from that to near maximum in a very short period of time. The only way to do that is to go insanely hard, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you get, and which isn't good when your race is even 90 minutes or even 20 minutes, which I know sounds crazy if you haven't heard our pacing stuff, but yeah, it's true. Um, so if you are only using heart rate and that's your only metric to assess your pacing strategy, you're missing it because you could have blown up and you wouldn't see it. Yeah, well, we haven't even talked about uh, like in terms of the analyzing the data, but you're right. It's the same um, various uh, running races, so especially trail running. A lot of the times it's single track like mountain biking and you just don't want to be held up, you know, and, and maybe it's a race tactic to try and like string the race out early. Uh, whatever. Uh, yeah. I hate that tactic. Cause there's like literally one person that should be using that tactic. And that's the person that is basically guaranteed to win. They're well, that crazy good that they're guaranteed to win. So their tactic can be to stretch out the race. Anyone else? Bad idea. Well, I'm, Anyway, um, so, uh, so with, yeah, what, what's happening 
there is both mechanical points one and two mechanical and metabolic workload are huge so you're requiring a large like muscle con- contractile activity and you're going to need those muscles later on and they're not very fatigue resistant your large type one aerobic well-conditioned muscle fibers are extremely efficient as we get deeper so the way we when we um are exerting force we have motor units and we kind of let's say we had 100 you're just walking around you're you're recruiting number one to five and then as we increase so now you're walking around with uh uh you know 10 kgs of donuts Mm. and you and then you have to run because you've You've seen Matt and he's coming for you, asking for freebies, handouts. So you're 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 now recruiting number one all the way through to number ninety. And as we get, depending on your your training capacity, like I mentioned with Matt being not well conditioned and running, he may only have number one to number twenty aerobically conditioned. And so as soon as he goes number twenty one, he's starting to his economy starts to decrease rapidly. Uh, and if you're going to do that at the start of your race, you're going to go, so let's say they only have 30 seconds, number number 80 to number 90, those motor units only have 30 seconds in them. That's all they got. Boom. You just start so your yeah. race, they're, they're gone. Yeah. But then We're for getting... someone who you're riding or running right next to, like Matt said, if the winner wants to do that, sure, they're not gone. Yeah. They're not going that hard. So anyway, if we're just looking at heart rate, it's not going to tell you anything. Yeah. It's, it's not going to tell you any of that. And then you've got the lactate, um, lactate acidosis, so you increase in anaerobic components. Um, now you're burning through glycogen. Need that later. Uh, yeah, your increase in acidity is going to decrease your, your contractile economy as well. Uh a lot of negative things are going to happen at the start of your race that, yeah, you are, it's just not, even if you're trying to analyze it retrospectively, you go, well, yeah, I don't know. You, I mean, it started at 140, you had a good warm up, but it went up to 160 and then you got into the descent. It kind of stayed a bit elevated. What am I supposed to say here? I can see this internal battle that you have to fight, Will, when you love heart rate, but you also love power. It's like a hard way to live. I. <laughs> you love it and you hate it. Okay, so training load for intervals, that's our number four. Yeah. It's kind of the same, right? Like we, I think we kind of touched on that when we were talking about a lot of these things. Because... Well, this is more the, this is the retrospective analysis. Yeah. Okay. So um, for those that measure training load, outside of how many hours you did each week so like strava plus <laughs> like beyond strava yeah so on training peaks um training stress score uh, stride has running stress score everyone has some strava has relative effort uh break ace has flow score right same thing doesn't involve heart rate though uh all. it's um it's, it's giving you, essentially those, uh, a measure is trying to say, like, you know, this is how much that session was worth. You know, you, you operated at 100% of your threshold for, or we'll do the standard, 100% of your threshold for one hour. So you got 100 units. Easy. Now, with, um, with heart rate, well, we were going at our threshold and we just started and it took 10 to 15 to reach threshold heart rate. And then I'm really fit. So I actually sustained that and only and it stayed within threshold zone for the hour. I mean, now like in that example, it, it would appear that I didn't train as hard. Yeah. Uh, and then you compound that when you have intervals because especially if you're doing like hit stuff and sprints. I mean, the neurological load on, on sprints 
is massive and your heart rate won't even blip. Yeah, well, you know, it's the same with power. TSS is always extremely low. So I was talking to an athlete this morning, sets of 10 second sprints. And the TSS on that workout is like 50 or something. It's it's nothing. So actually, TSS is an issue also with well, power when you're doing normalized power, right? As yeah. So to like actual cumulative load above. Yeah. But also with mountain biking, we see an issue with using heart rate for TSS because when you go down a hill, your heart rate doesn't decrease to resting for most athletes. So a lot of times, especially here in Rotorua, where we have insanely fast trails that have huge holes that you have to smash into, it takes a lot of load from your upper body, which this is what my PhD was on, this, at least the start of it was like, how much demand does it take to absorb these impacts? And that's like a lot of your upper body, also your legs, but there's no power output. But if you're using, so it isn't an actual training stimulus if you think about being able to increase your power output because you're not actually pedaling. But if you're using, so if you're using power, the TSS will be lower because yeah. you have spent so much time not pedaling. If you're using heart rate and that's where your TSS is based on, your TSS might be higher because your heart rate increases going down the hills. You might have like an insanely high TSS simply because you used heart rate versus power. Like you could have only pedaled half the time. Yeah. So heart rate does cause an issue with, when you're trying to calculate TSS because it doesn't actually represent the workload you're doing with your muscles. So you, an isolated muscle. Yeah, that's an ultra, ultra trail. I'll convert it from like a power or pace based TSS to a heart rate TSS. Because when you're when you're walking upstairs after running for four hours, your heart rate doesn't go down. Mechanical load is low, so power appears to be low. But the metabolic requirement is still there. Like to climb and then pace is gonna say that you're running really slow because you are, you're walking upstairs, <laughs> but there's a, there's a, there's a big metabolic requirement and, and a bit of a, a mechanical one, you know, to, to actually, uh, exert force against gravity so much, especially if you've got, you know, um, compulsory gear and a couple kgs on your back. Uh, so if you're just looking at power or pace, neither of those are going to represent the actual demand of that that session yeah i don't actually think there's an answer there is there i think it's just like a limit of the the tss monster you know where you can't ever get like a great indication it's like just another tool in in your tool belt really yeah you have to kind of pick and stick yeah right like keep yeah, it, everything you got to use with a grain of salt, as we're finding out here. Yeah. Uh, but mainly, I want to say training load for intervals is generally going to be pretty atrocious. Yeah, with heart rate. With heart rate. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Totally agree. Uh, and so the there's point four. Final point: reliability of wrist-based heart rate. Yeah. Now, Matt, you don't yeah. really vibe that on on the bike you've got a new watch though which has wrist yeah. heart right yeah how have you found it what are you um yeah actually i think it's pretty accurate when i go running because i'm not going hard i think that's why but like i work with some some downhill athletes and they train a lot on the uh the motocross bike oh yep and they'll you there's no way to like think no one's going to carry their heart rate strap to like the track that's lame so you you use your your wrist base and it's just ridiculous it's not even close it'll say like 75 something to rip around a track which is not true right yeah. uh so i think like the faster you go and the more bumpy it is the less reliable it is like it's a little optical sensor yeah that's trying to say this is how much uh, blood is passing through. Actually, I'm not even sure what they're looking at. No, yeah. so I have a I have a, a video on this about. Oh, cool. It's I should titled watch it. 
why are optical heart rate sensors so crap? Oh. Uh, and so what happens is the, yeah, the optical sensors. So there's a LED light emitting diode and then there's a receiver. And uh, the, the LED obviously emits light and then your tissue that, that sits between the, the back of the watch, the LED, and your veins is uh is reflects that that wavelength back to the receiver so as your heart pumps it displaces that tissue and so the light uh detects that tissue displacement between each beat of the heart and says you know this is how much your heart's beating so you think about going on a moto like a motocross bike and how much your watch is going to compress and decompress, you know, vibrate against your skin. And so now that LED is trying to determine what's the difference here between mm-hmm. like what's causing this, this displacement in the tissue under the watch. So a couple of ways I've tried to eliminate this is one, increase the amount of LEDs and the and vary the wavelengths. And so now you've got you've just got more points of 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 measure to try and smooth and average out to determine what is real and what is noise. And then the other thing they've done, uh, which is namely for running, I think, uh, is um, it's like a th- the they use the internal accelerometers to measure the three D displacement of the watch itself. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so like. Just do a diff between What's, them like differentiate like how much vibration is actually happening and is that causing a change in what we might be expecting with the heart rate yeah and your anecdotal report matt of when you're running city state all good one there's not a lot of vibration happening and two the the internal algorithm to determine the displacement of the watch itself all works pretty well but then you start doing like if you're on a mountain bike, uh, you're going downhill. You're going there's lots of vibration. It gets a little harder. You start running really fast, and now you're there's a lot of movement. And then of course there can be interference in the light source. So when you're when you're riding on a bike really fast, the there's a lot of wind. You know there's there's a lot of air flowing that can get under the watch and then also if there's if you've got a skinny wrist so the watch isn't sitting flush that can operate and then obviously you've got tattoos and the melatonin in your skin and freckles and all these things that could cause a altered wrists yep i tell you what like the first time i wore the the wrist i wear a watch all the time but the smart watch is heavy and the first time I went down a hill with it, I had to pull over because it was just slapping against my hand so much. Like, this is not comfortable. It actually kind of hurts. So I had to really snug it up. And I realized, well, it's probably also inaccurate because it's so loose and I have hairy arms. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I'm not going to wear this anymore. Yeah, because so. if the, if the um, whatever wavelength of light the, the receiver is trying to detect, if that's coming from the environment, your reading's noisy, like it's, yeah. it's inaccurate. Uh, so, so you can't like I would not, I would not want someone to rely on wrist-based heart unless they had a good history of it being accurate for their race strap. Yeah, all day. Yeah, definitely. Um, one thing I wanted to just touch on before we finish because that's number five. Yeah, was difference in heart rates like while we're chatting on heart rate i think that's its own episode the difference in heart rates like what you see between people yeah well oh yeah yeah it's huge huge difference well how someone could have a max heart rate of 160 and so this is there's a couple world-class like professional triathletes and cyclists and runners who are like putting out world-class times with 130 yeah i think we save that for another episode because i know you did like a really good video on that and we talk about it a lot and it's actually in our master class let's do a whole episode on just that right because it's pretty cool so that is our five reasons 
why you should not train with heart rate. We have cardiovascular versus metabolic, cardiovascular versus mechanical, pacing at the start of the race, whether short or long, training load for intervals, and then the reliability of wrist-based heart rate. Sweet. I will throw mine in the garbage right now. <laughs> what? It's still a good watch. All oh, right. Still has GPS. Uh, I meant all my heart rate stuff. No. Oh. You love it. Yeah. Okay. I love it. All right. Make sure you check out uh, our social medias, uh, our performanceadvantagepodcast.com website, and get in contact if you need help with your racing training or coaching.